So those of you that have been coming to church here for a bit um, are used to preachers who preach without notes. Um, I will not be that preacher this morning. Jerron, I don't even know how he does it. He hasn't even been preaching very long. But uh, he preaches without notes. Today you get a preacher that preaches with notes. So I want to remind you that small groups are now opening. And um, if you haven't joined a small group, you just go to the website and uh, you can look through the different groups and their leaders and, and who's meeting and when and where. And I would encourage you to, to sign up and, and engage yourself in small groups. Uh, and that's why I'm preaching this morning. I'm preaching a message that has to do with how well we need to be loving each other. And the best context, context we have for offering that to you is for consistent and regular um, interaction in small groups. So let's stand for the reading of the scripture if you're able to stand. And we're going to be in John chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 31 through 35. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, And he will do so at once. Dear children, I'll only be with you a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. Next slide. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Later on in the evening when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, chapter 15, verses 12 and 13 and then 17, he repeats this again. Very similar language. He says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then in verse 17, he repeats it again. This is my command. Love each other. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for John, the gospel writer, who took the time to write down these great things that you said and prayed the night that you were betrayed and arrested and the next day given over for our sins. Lord, these last few hours that you spent with these disciples were were important ones. And the things that you had to say to them in these last few hours were extraordinary. And Lord, we want to peek in to see what you said, because you didn't just say it to them, but you're still saying it to us today. So we pray that you would give us ears to hear, and that our hearing would produce obedience and fruit, that our hearing your word today would produce change, would produce a hunger to love you well and to love each other well. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So here's where we're going to go today, and uh, hopefully we'll get there sooner than later, because, you know, when you only preach like once every three years, you you tend to want to go long, but I promise, promise, we'll try to clip through this as quickly as possible. Um, So how does this passage in John, what we just read, how does it fit into the bigger gospel? You know, John had a lot to say about his experience with Jesus. 
And so we want to see what he had to say specifically in our passage that we read today. How does that fit into the greater story of the gospel that John wrote? And what is the significance of it? So we're going to answer that question. Then we're going to make three observations of the text. We're going to look in and and see what this night was like, what the disciples were doing, what Jesus was doing and saying. And I want to make three observations about what was happening. And these observations, my prayer is that it will help us feel the weight and the gravity of this new commandment that Jesus gave them to love each other. And then after that, we're going to clip through about six reasons, really, I mean, like incredibly glorious and fun and wonderful reasons why it's important for us to love each other. So that's where we're going. So first of all, let's look at a quick little outline of John's gospel, see how this text fits in uh, what we read today. So as you'll notice, the first part is chapter one, the first 18 verses, John just gives an introduction to his book. He, he gives a prologue. He kind of gives you a peek to say, this is what we're going to, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to talk about. God was made flesh and he dwelt among us. And I'm about to tell you all that we experienced when God became flesh and dwelt with us. And then in the second part, chapter one, verse 18, through the end of chapter 12, is all of John's recording Jesus' public ministry. And he was very deliberate about pointing to the signs of Jesus' identity as the Messiah, the one that was promised to the Israelite nation to come and rescue them. Then in the next section is chapter 13, all the way through the end of chapter 17. These are five chapters right in the middle of the book of John. And this is detailing Jesus' private ministry and instruction with his disciples. And all those five chapters right there, 13 through 17, happen in the course of several hours. On the night that they took the Passover meal, And he instituted his own body and blood as the sacrifice that was going to be given to them now forever. And then he talks to them for a while. They go to the garden. He prays in the garden. Then eventually he's arrested. And that starts in chapter 18, verse 1, going through the end of chapter 20. We read about the arrest and the trial, the execution and the resurrection of Jesus. And then finally, the last chapter is chapter 21. talks about the restoration of Peter into fellowship. And so where our verse is sitting in this outline is very early in the evening, in chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples had just come into the room that had been prepared, and they're getting ready to have the Passover meal. And uh, that's where we read where Jesus gives them this new commandment. Love each other, just as I have loved you, love each other. I would think that these words that Jesus spoke, knowing that he only had a few hours left, and then all these friends were going to be scattered, they were going to be confused, they were going to be hurt, they were going to be frustrated. He had some very important things that he had to say. Wouldn't you want to say some of the most important? If you knew this was coming, you got some important things you need to say. So he's got this group of friends, disciples gathered, probably no more than 13 14, 15 people in the room at most. And he's spending these last few hours with these very close friends and disciples. So let's make three observations about the text and what's going on. Observation number one, love one another, this command is demonstrated by Jesus. Before he commanded it, he demonstrated it. 
He put it on display so they would know this is what I mean. What did he do? Well, he took the role of a servant and he washed their feet. Now picture this. Pretty typical in this culture. Feet get dirty throughout the day because you're walking everywhere. You go in for your evening meal and usually the servant in the house, somebody in the house had the task of washing everyone's feet before they came to the meal. And that person was typically, as far as socioeconomic status, fairly low on the totem pole. Imagine your rabbi, your teacher, the one that you're seeing and believing is the very son of God, the one who has always existed from time eternal. You walk in the room with him. He takes out his outer garments off. He takes the wash basin and the towel, and he begins to wash their feet. He's demonstrating something. He's putting an example out there for them to follow. If you remember, Peter didn't want to have anything to do with it. If you read the story, Peter was like, no, 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 no. This this is all wrong. This is backwards. This doesn't make any sense. You're the rabbi. You're the son of God. Like, we should be washing your feet. And Jesus corrected them. They had a little exchange. And finally, Peter's like, okay, okay, I get it. So Jesus came in as a servant demonstrating what he meant by love each other. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul is probably even thinking possibly about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He had heard the story and he says of Jesus, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself. So Jesus demonstrated what he was about to command. The second observation is that he called it a new command. Now this was peculiar to me. What made Jesus command to love one another just as I have loved you that you also love one another? What made that new? Because hadn't that been commanded before? I I read in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 and all the way back in the Torah, in the law, this is the first place we see about God's, God saying how to love. And in Leviticus 19.18, he says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, Yahweh. Now pretty much every Israelite read that, and they equated their neighbor to their fellow Israelite. They would think, oh, I need to love my countrymen like myself. I need to love them like I love myself. Let's read about how Jesus looked at this law in Leviticus 19.18. I'm sorry. Let's look at how Jesus interpreted this in Matthew. So in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 5, verses 43 and 46, Jesus said, you have heard the law that says, and he's talking about Leviticus, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Now let's pause. When I just read Leviticus, it didn't say anything about hating your enemies, did it? Did anybody read in Leviticus where it says, love your neighbors yourself and hate your enemies? I looked through the entire Old Testament and I couldn't find anywhere in the law where it said to hate your enemies. So I was like, What's that? Well, what that is, is it's Jewish commentary over hundreds of years on the law. And the folks that were listening to Jesus teach this in Matthew 5 would have been familiar with this phrase because they had 
Jewish rabbis and scribes who had been teaching this for hundreds of years, basically changing and twisting the law that God gave in Leviticus and making it out to be, hey, we got to huddle up and take care of our own, right? Got to love our neighbor, meaning love your fellow Hebrew, but hate the enemies, the enemies of our of our country. We need, you know, that that was kind of what was taught. Jesus is correcting that here. He's saying, you've heard it, but guess what? I say, love your enemies. So he just took that Levitical law of loving your neighbors yourself, and he raised the bar on it, didn't he? So it's not just about loving those of your own, you know, kind or your own ethnicity or loving those who are of your own country. He's raising the bar big time. He's saying, love your enemies. But then he even raises it again in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. And he's asked the question, what is the greatest command? And he answers very directly. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Up to that point, all his Jewish hearers said, Amen. They, they got that. They were on board with that. And then he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. A second, okay, second command. Now he's going off script. Second command is equally important. Wait a minute. What's as equally important as loving God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind? What's as important as that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa, the bar just went really up now. It's like, okay, love your neighbor. Yep, love my enemy. I don't know. Love each other, your neighbor, just like you love God. Whoa, that's a that's like a whole different level, right? And at this point, I'm thinking, I don't think I can do that. (laughs) Let's be honest with ourselves. That's hard to do, isn't it? Loving each other. And putting that on an equal plane with loving God. But we see right here that Jesus did it. So then we get to our story in John chapter 13. And we got to ask, what made Jesus command new from everything he had already said? I mean, I thought the bar just got raised to the max there, right? His call to love is founded not on the law of loving your neighbor as yourself, but it is now founded on his example of sacrificial servant love in giving his life for his friends and his enemies. He compared his own love for us to the same kind of love he's asking us to love each other. Okay, I know I can't do that. Let's just be honest. I can't do that. The kind of love that I see Jesus demonstrating in the Bible. I look at that and if he's expecting me to love all of you and my neighbors and all of it to that, wow, how can I do that? So the bar has just really, really gone high. Let's point out a few other things. The command to love each other is wedged right between the foretelling of a close friend's betrayal and another close friend's denial. If you remember the story, right at the beginning of our text, it said Judas had left the room. Why had he left the room? He had already made plans to go and betray Jesus into the hands of the Roman government and the religious leaders for money. 
Guess what? Jesus washed Judah's feet. Jesus washed Peter's feet, who he already predicted and foretold, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times before morning ever even shows up. See, Jesus is commanding us to love each other. And right in between is Judas betraying him and Peter later denying him. Jesus befriended both Judas and Peter. Jesus laid down his life as a ransom for both Judas' sins and for Peter's sins. In Jesus' metaphor of the vine and branches, uh, which is in chapter 15, he's emphasizing the need to abide in him. We're going to talk a little bit more about that here in a little while. In other words, to stick with him, to stay engaged in relationship with him. In one instance, Judas betrayed Jesus and chose to break relationship. In another instance, Peter denied but was restored. The reason I bring this up is because Jesus in all of this demonstrated the kind of love that he's asking us to love each other with, which means that, of course, we're going to love our enemies. And sometimes our enemies are going to be our closest friends. But it doesn't negate the the command to love, to love just like Jesus loved. In fact, we read on further a third observation So we know Jesus demonstrated it. We know it's a new command because he's saying, now I'm asking you to love just like I've loved you. Here's the good news. If you're feeling the weight of this like I'm feeling, there's good news. Third observation. There's supernatural power available to you to help you love each other. You don't have to do it in your own strength. And let's praise God for that. He's given us supernatural power to do this. We can't love each other in the same way Jesus loved us without the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus is about to go accomplish a work on the cross that's going to provide a way for the Holy Spirit from being with the disciples to being in the disciples. Let's read what he said. John chapter 14, verse 17 He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. And later, he will be in you. Moves from with to moving in. Right now, the disciples are listening and they're thinking, Holy Spirit is with. Jesus is now saying, before long, he's going to move in. Now I'm getting to get a little hope that this loving each other ethic is possible. Just the way Jesus loved us, I can love you because the Holy Spirit residing in me can give me the supernatural power to do what I otherwise couldn't do in my own power. Jesus reemphasized this truth in chapter 14 and verse 20. And he says, on that day, so he's talking about something to happen in the future to the disciples. On that day, you will know that I, Jesus, am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. 
So he's pointing to this reality that the Holy Spirit, once he comes, there's going to be a dynamic miracle that happens where Jesus actually can reside in us. And we reside in him and he resides in the Father and the Father resides in him. Are you guys feeling the weight of that miracle? The, the glorious fact that Jesus lives in you through the Holy Spirit. Jesus again hammers at home when he promises, as he prays in chapter 17, he prays in verse 22 and 23, he says, and the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them. Whoa. What did he just, what, what? The glory that you, Father, have given to me, Jesus, I have given to them the same glory in order that they may be one just as we are one. That we can be one just as the Father and the Son are one. We have that available to us. That's incredible. So that in them, you and me, I and you, in order that they may be perfectly one. So, here's the three observations. One, the love one another command was perfectly demonstrated by Jesus. He showed us what it looks like. Observation number two, the love one another command is a new command in that Jesus is our example of love in how he loves us. And observation three, the love one another command comes with supernatural power from the Holy Spirit to enable us to obey the command. So here's six reasons to love one another. We're going to clip through these pretty quick. So I'll go quick if you listen quick. Deal? Deal. Number one reason. Loving one another accurately portrays the real Jesus, which leads to salvation. Now we all need to encounter the real Jesus because there are a lot of counterfeit Jesuses in our culture. People who will tell you who Jesus is when it's really not him. So how do we know it's really him? How do we really get to know the real Jesus? Well, Jesus demonstrated that the love one another ethic, he demonstrated it by serving the disciples from a position of a servant. He washed their feet. That was one example. In chapter 13, verse 20, Jesus says this, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. You see the chain there. You see the connection. Jesus sends us. We love one another as he sends us because he sends us with this new command to love each other, right? As we love each other, what are we demonstrating? We're demonstrating the same love that Jesus has for us. When we demonstrate that, guess what? People who receive you, are receiving him and people who receive him are receiving his father. See the connections he made. The link in verse 20 is linking what Jesus just did to what he expects us to do. Now, chapter 13, verse 35, he emphasizes it again. And he says, by this, by everything that we just talked about, this whole connection of loving each other and demonstrating the same love that Jesus had for us, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples and he emphasizes it again if you have love for one another i mean this is this is pretty dynamic loving each other caring for each other protecting each other 
right? Serving one another. This is putting God on display. This is making much of how Jesus loved us so that the world will know. Reason number two, loving one another opens us to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says the following, If you love me, pause, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. It's just a natural progression. That's how we know. We know we love him because we want to obey what he says. So if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Remember what he said, a new commandment? I love each other just like I've loved you. So we're going to do that. And guess what he does? I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So you see the connections Jesus is making as we love each other, as we obey the command. Guess what happens? Our heart becomes open to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to come help us to do exactly what Jesus asked us to do. So obedience, here comes the Spirit, and the Spirit empowers further obedience. You follow the chain. Reason number three, abiding in Jesus keeps us loving one another, and loving one another keeps us abiding in Jesus, and abiding in Jesus keeps us loving one another, and loving one another keeps us abiding in Jesus. You, you follow the, the circle, circle there, right? They play on each other. Chapter 15, verse 5 Jesus is making an analogy about the vine and the branches. And he says, I am the vine. So let's picture that. Jesus is comparing himself to a vine. Everybody got a vine pictured in their mind? Maybe the, the pretty vines that go up the wall, whatever. And then he says, you, that's all of us, you're the branches. So we're, we've got this vine that's feeding all these branches coming off of it, Right? Whoever abides in me, branches connected to that vine, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So abiding in Jesus helps us love one another. And when we love one another, we're abiding in Jesus. You follow that? That's another reason. Reason number four. Loving one another makes us friends with Jesus. In chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. Now, that's remarkable. We've gone from servants of the king to friends. Friends of the king. You guys have friends, right? Friends are people that you can really be close to. And, and you kind of, I think about my friends as the kind of people where I can kind of relax, you know? Let down your hair, so to speak. Just be yourself because guess what? Friends just love each other. They take, they, they enjoy one another's company. They, they enjoy being together and enjoying life together. That's what friends are. And in the hard times and the bad times, friends are still, guess what? It's amazing. Jesus says, hey, you do this. You love each other like I've loved you. You, you follow my command. You're friends. You're friends of Jesus. Reason number five, loving one another keeps us in the Father's protection. Chapter 17, verse 11, Jesus is praying, Holy Father, keep them in your name. 
Now, what does that mean? Keeping in your name is protection. Think about it in terms of, uh, I had a bad analogy the first meeting, so I'm going to use a better analogy the second meeting. The better analogy is, you guys know what the Secret Service is all about, right? They protect the president, but they don't just protect the president, they protect his family. So, like, if you're, you know, Barack Obama, and you have two daughters, the Secret Service, because their last name is Obama, and they're connected to their father, guess what? They get the same protection. Why? They have the family name, right? And this is what Jesus is saying. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them protected. The name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. The name of God is protection. When you are in the family, you're covered by the Father. You're covered by His protection. So that's reason number five. And finally, reason number six. Loving one another puts God's glory on display. It presents God to the world. Chapter 17, verse 22, Jesus is praying and He says, The glory that you have given to Me, I have given to them. What? The glory that the Father gave Jesus is the glory that He's given to us. That they may be one even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So, loving one another puts God's glory, puts His magnificence on display so the world will know. So, those are the observations and the reasons. So, that's not going to mean a whole lot unless we walk away from this message today with something practical and available for us to do. Maybe a change in our, in our everyday living, our lifestyle. Maybe a different attitude or a perspective. But I want you to be able to go away today, not just with knowing that we need to love each other well, but I want you to be able to answer the question, how? How can we love each other well the way Jesus has loved us? Well, let's, let's investigate. What ways do we demonstrate love for each other just as Jesus has loved us? In other words, what types of feet-washing love can we do for each other? It's a good question. What kinds of demonstrations of service, of help, can we do for each other to demonstrate the love that Jesus put on example for us? As we're thinking about that, here's some other things that kind of go along with that. And these would be within the character of Jesus. Rather than being entitled, be the servant. Jesus laid down his rights as the Son of God so that he could serve. Jesus did that for us. And so if if he loved us in such a remarkable way... I think it is good for us to think about what entitlement, what rights can I lay down to serve my, my brothers and sisters in Christ? Rather than demanding my own way, maybe I should defer to the other. Loving as Jesus loves, it looks very humble. It's very practical. And it's very helpful. 
So in what ways can you be practically helping people in the body of Christ? What are their needs? How can you serve that need? What what kinds of comfort do they need? Can you provide that comfort? What kind of encouragement do the people in, in your sphere of influence in the body of Christ, how can you serve? How can you help? Remember, Jesus loved Judas and Peter. Remember that when we went through that a while ago. They had become enemies. Another instance, remember the rich young ruler? And Jesus actually invited the rich young ruler to follow him. But there were some guidelines to that. There were some things he was asking the rich young ruler to obey in order to follow him. And that guy went away sad because he wasn't willing to do what Jesus had asked him to do. What does this mean? Why am I saying this? This means I do not measure my love's effectiveness by the outcome, but by my obedience to the Holy Spirit. When we love each other well, it's because we're obeying what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. And I'm here to tell you, the outcome of that kind of love doesn't always look the way you want it to look. Is that fair? If we love each other well, just like Jesus, Jesus loved the rich young ruler, can we accuse Jesus of not loving Judas or Peter or the rich young ruler perfectly? Of course he loved them perfectly. One guy went off and committed suicide. So we can't always measure our love based on the outcome. We measure the love we have for one another based on our obedience to the Holy Spirit. Because he knows the hearts of the people that he's trying to win over. He knows the hearts of the people that he's wanting to pull. And he knows what needs to happen. And sometimes what needs to happen isn't pleasant. But sometimes loving well means we don't always get the outcome that we think. So Peter denied Jesus three times and ran away. The rich ruler, he went away sad and we know the end that Judas had. Yet, Jesus loved each one of them perfectly. So where do we get this supernatural power to love each other as Jesus loved us? Well, we've already answered about the Holy Spirit. And we know that by abiding in Jesus, that's that, that conduit that we need to be receiving the Holy Spirit. So let's think about that. What would that look like practically? I mean, you know, it's a nice picture thinking about a vine and branches, and that sounds nice here, but then you go and you go, I wonder, I wonder what that, how do I do that? Well, let's think through that. First of all, let's ask, well, where did Jesus draw his power to be able to love like he loved? By abiding in the Father's love. By, by spending a lot of time with his Father talking with his father, depending on his father, honoring his father, obeying his father. We can see that pattern that Jesus set all through his life of abiding in the father and what that looked like, right? So what does that mean for us? Well, we love one another with supernatural power by spending a lot of time with Jesus, talking with him, depending on Jesus, Honoring Jesus, trusting Jesus, obeying Jesus. And how do we do that? We read His Scripture. We read read His Word. We pray about what we've read. And we ask for help to obey what we've read. Now, it's really that simple. Now, it's not always simple to love each other well. That's hard. Can everybody say, yeah, that's kind of hard sometimes, right? But the answer to being able to love each other well, just like Jesus loved us, 
Simple. Read your Bible, pray about what you're reading, and obey. If you do that, the Holy Spirit will help you to love each other well. It's that simple. So, what are some next steps that we can look at to help us to do this? Because it's a tall order. We know we've got help from the Holy Spirit. We know we're going to have help to do this well. So let's walk this out. And I want to do this by asking some things of you for next steps. So what specific help do you need to love the way that Jesus loves? And everybody's going to answer this a little differently. We all have different gifts and talents. We all have different circumstances in life. We all have different spheres of influence, right, that we run around with and different relationships. So this isn't the same answer. But everyone will have an answer. What specific help do you need to love the way Jesus loves? Think about that. I know for me, personally, it means that I need to defer to others' interests a lot more often than I defer. That's just being real. I need to do, if I'm going to love the way Jesus loves, I've got to learn how to better let the Holy Spirit help me defer what I want and give in to what others want and help them. How does the Holy Spirit want to shape the way I love others differently? Now this is going back to love's outcome, right? We look at the effectiveness of our love, not necessarily by what happens after, but by our obedience to the Holy Spirit. So, How does the Holy Spirit need to shape the way that you're loving others? And some of you may be thinking, well, I thought I was loving them pretty well. Just ask the Holy Spirit for help because maybe he wants to tweak that and shape that a little differently. Maybe he wants that love to look a little different than the way it looks now so that you're actually being helpful no matter the outcome. And by the way, when we love well, guess what? People aren't always going to like it. Right? Jesus... Loved very well. And people didn't always like it. So if we love like Jesus, we know that loving well doesn't always mean that we're going to get the desired outcome that we have. But it will be the desired outcome that God has if we're obeying the Holy Spirit. So what do I need to do to shape the way I love differently? What adjustments do you need to make this week to abide in Jesus? So that may look like, you know, Trusting differently. Instead of, you know, trusting the balance in my bank account, I need to trust Jesus. Um, maybe instead of, you know, trusting my spouse to love me well, I need to just really lean into Jesus because I know he's going to love me well, which actually will help you <laughs> love your spouse better, right? So where are you putting your trust? Where are you putting your time? Some of you may be thinking, man, it's been a little while since I've actually opened God's Word and done some reading and some studying. How do you abide in Jesus better? Open your Word. Open the Bible. Get in a consistent habit of reading it, listening to it, interacting with it, praying about it. Maybe you need to shift your time a little bit. And what is it that you're reading and studying? What adjustments do you need to make in how you're feeding your brain? You know, maybe the news needs to go off a little sooner. And some prayer time needs to be adjusted and dialed up a little longer. I don't know. I'm not, I'm just throwing out suggestions. Your, your life is yours and my life is mine, but we all have things that we could do to adjust so that we abide in that vine, Jesus, better. So we love each other better. If you would stand, I'm going to pray. We're going to have communion after this, but I'm going to pray 
a prayer. And this is the prayer that Jesus prayed in chapter 17 for his disciples, but I've adapted it for us here today, so I'm going to pray that for us. Father, you have glorified Jesus, and he glorifies you, because you gave him authority over all people to bring eternal life to many. And this is eternal life, that we know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who you sent. Jesus glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you sent him to do. And now, Father, continue to glorify Jesus in your own presence with the glory that he had with you before the world even existed. Jesus made you known to us, Father. We belong to you, Father, and to Jesus. And we have kept your word, and we want to keep keeping your word. We know you've given everything to Jesus, for he has given us the words that you gave him, and we have received them. We know the truth that Jesus came from you, and we believe that you sent him. Jesus prayed for his first disciples, and he was not praying for the whole world, but he was praying for those who you gave to him, for they were yours. All that belongs to Jesus are yours, and all that belongs to you, Father, also belongs to Jesus, and he is glorified in us. Jesus is no longer in the world, but we are still in the world because Jesus came back to you. So, Holy Father, keep us in your name, which you gave Jesus, that we can be one just like you and Jesus are one. While Jesus was with the first disciples, he kept them in your name, which you gave to him. He guarded them. And not one was lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures could be fulfilled. So after Jesus came back to you, Father, we were filled with his joy because of the things that he said. We have Jesus' word. The world hates us because we keep Jesus' word. And they hated him too. We ask that while still in this world, that you would keep us from the evil one. We're not of this world, just as Jesus was not of the world. So sanctify us in the truth, the truth of your word. As you sent Jesus into the world, so he sent us into the world. For our sakes, Jesus consecrated himself that we also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus prayed not only for his first disciples, but also for all of us who believe in him through their testimony. The glory you gave Jesus, he has given to us, that we may be one even as you and Jesus are one. Jesus in us, the Father in Jesus. This makes us perfectly one with you, Father, Son, and Spirit. This oneness makes you known in all the world because you love us just like you love Jesus. Father, we want to be with Jesus where he is. We want to see his glory, and we want to see his splendor. We want to see this glory that your love has put on display before there was ever even a world. So, righteous Father, the world still does not know you, but we know you sent Jesus on this mission of love. He made your eternal essence and loveliness known to us. So Jesus is the exact representation of who you are and what you do. He continues to make you known so that your love for Jesus will be the same love we experience. Amen.